John 21, we begin in verse 1, as it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This now, the third time, Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would teach us through your word today, that you would draw us closer to you, God. We pray that you would meet with us as we desire to meet with you and to know you more. We want to see you move in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we pray for all those who may be sick or hurting. Lord, we continue to pray for our brother Greg Mulder. We pray that you would touch him and heal him, God. We truly ask for a miracle. Lead us today, Lord. We look to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we continue in the Gospel of John, uh, we remind ourselves of where we left off last week uh, after the resurrection, on the day of the resurrection, and where there were various different appearances of Jesus on that same day. Uh, And then we saw from there, he appeared to the disciples. They weren't all in the room. We saw then the doubt of Thomas, where a week later Jesus shows up again, Thomas, who had isolated himself and doubted Jesus, who had uh, fallen into complete unbelief and rejection of Jesus, then Jesus shows himself, reveals himself, and then Thomas comes into that place of belief. Jesus told his disciples that they were to be sent out that that was going to be their mission, to be sent out and to be you know, uh, calling people to repentance. And now we pick up in chapter 21 after Jesus had told them to go to Galilee. In Matthew's account, in Matthew 28, he told them to go to Galilee. And so here they've gone to Galilee. 
They're here in Galilee, and as it says in the first verse, after these things, and, and that's speaking specifically after the things that John had just spoken of at the end of chapter 20, is, he says in verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, we talked about that last week. There's many things that John doesn't write about. John's not the detail guy, but John had some important things to say. And so he's like, well, there's many other things. I can't get into all of it. And now he says, after these things, after all these amazing, miraculous things, the different signs that Jesus had performed, now here we are. And Jesus, he, and now he has this account, he has a story to tell of Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus told them to go to, the Galilee, go to the Galilee region, and that's where they were. Jesus told them to wait. Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would come. And so now here they are. Now, Peter is not so great at waiting, apparently. Uh, but it's all after these, the signs that Jesus performed, and here we're seeing this story that's presented by John. It's like he's, he's got a captive audience now after 20 chapters, and he's like, and there's one more thing, and I'm going to tell you about it. You ready? And so he frames it out for us and prepares the way, and, and that he's even saying, this is important for me to mention to you. It's worth mentioning. He already said, there's many things that I'm not writing in this book, but hold on, I've got to tell you this. This is good. This is important. Not that the other things weren't good, but it is important for John to express this because we're going to see some specific things take place. And what we're going to watch happen throughout this chapter is the restoration of the disciples, but not just them, but Peter specifically. Peter, who was called to be this leader in the church, when Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, you shall be Cephas, now we're seeing that Cephas come into play a bit here in John chapter 21. We're going to get to see even more specifically Peter's, you know, this interaction that Peter has with Jesus next week, but this is more the general uh, introduction to that. And how Jesus shows up to restore his disciples, to restore Peter, to bring Peter into a place of fellowship and understanding of what the calling was on his life, that he was becoming Cephas. So, verse 2, we continue. That's after the introduction. He says, here's the story. Now, he's got the story. Simon Peter, this is the, the characters who are present. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of Jesus' disciples, were not, they were together. Now there's seven people named here, or there's five people named, two unnamed, of the disciples. And there, seven of them were together. And there's a value in that, right? And, and it's important to be together. They had Jesus sent them out and said he prays for them to be one. And we talked about it over the last couple of weeks. They were together. They went into the upper room together. They, they had the gathering, the assembling of the brethren. It was together. There's value in that. And now here, there's seven of them, and they're out. They go to Galilee, as Jesus said, and they were together. Even the unnamed ones. you know, And we don't know exactly who these two are unnamed disciples were. But let me just say, it's important that we recognize there were many unnamed disciples. Jesus didn't have just 12 followers, and that was it. 
Jesus had many disciples. Even in just his resurrected state, right, there were 500 people were witnesses of the resurrected Savior. So these are, many of them, followers of Jesus. And here they, there's this account of unnamed disciples. Were they of the 12? Maybe. We, well, of the 11, truly, at this point, because one of them, he left, remember. But was he one of them? Or were they one of those named disciples and they just didn't get a name here in John's account? Maybe, maybe not. But it gives us this attention to there are many unnamed. There are many who are followers of Jesus and even giving attention to each one of us today who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, being an unnamed disciple, connecting us to John's writing, and that's important. John didn't have a specific, like, this is my writing and this is a writing for this certain group of people. This is really something in the gospel of John that it's it's for all of us. And so we're connected to it here, even in being unnamed. The unnamed, there's two of these. So we can relate to that. We can relate to all the disciples, but specifically perhaps to these unnamed disciples in in verse two. In verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. So they went out immediately, got in the boat. That night they caught nothing. Peter goes back to what he knows. Peter does what he knows. Peter does it how he knows to do it. Peter wasn't okay just waiting. And sometimes, you know, we're hard on Peter. I say this all the time. We're really hard on Peter. We give him a hard time. We're like, man, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's saying things he shouldn't say. Putting the cart before the horse. He's, he's got, you know, it's Peter. He just does crazy things and says crazy things. And, and, and now he's just, oh, Peter, I'm done with this, this stuff. I'm going to fishing. Would we be so different? We would go back to what we know. Think about what Peter had walked through. The man who he left everything to follow. The man who he dedicated his life to following and learning from had been arrested tried, unlawfully so, crucified, and then raised from the dead and appeared to them, right? So, okay, this is getting, this is good. There's some good stuff in here, but let me just say, this is the most chaotic couple weeks that we could imagine. The man he left everything to follow died on a cross, then shows up to him with a group of his brothers in this room. And then says, go to Galilee. Peter's like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what's going on here. There's a lot of uncertainty. And uncertainty is scary. And oftentimes, when we are faced with uncertainty, what are we gonna do? We're gonna do what we know. We're gonna revert back to the things that are comfortable to us the things that we know how to do. Why? Because we have just at least a little bit of control. We don't like losing control. We don't like when things are outside of our hands. So let me go fishing. I know how to fish. And you fill it in for whatever it is that you do, that you're good at, one of your hobbies, your job, whatever. You're like, you know what? I'm just gonna go do this because it's what I know how to do and I can control this little world right here. 
But Jesus is going to teach them that they have absolutely no control, do they? He's going to teach Peter that no matter how much you think you can handle or you think you can do something, you don't have true ability within yourself at all. Jesus sent them. They're in Galilee, in this place of uncertainty. Peter says, We're going, I'm going fishing. The others say, we're going with you. One point here is that they were together. There's value in that. They had each other. There's a closeness that's important when certain uncertainty hits. There's value in being among the brethren when we're faced with so much uncertainty. We talked about that last week, the danger of isolation. We talked about Thomas and how Thomas had forsaken the assembling of the brethren. He found himself alone. And in that place of being alone, he said, I will not believe. But then Jesus showed up. We talked about how we need to be cautious, we need to be careful of isolation because it can lead to doubt and lead to unbelief. And Thomas is here. He's named among these disciples. I can imagine Thomas thinking, I tried the isolation. I'm gonna stick close to my brothers because Jesus showed me the value. Jesus showed me how important it is that I believe, that I trust him, and if I stay close to my brothers, we could do this together. We also see here that Peter was clearly a leader. He said, I'm going fishing. He didn't say, let's go fishing. He said, I'm going fishing. I don't know about you guys. I'm going. And what do they say? We're going too. We're fishermen. We could do that. We're going to follow you, Peter. There's a great foreshadowing here that we see of the early church. Peter was called. Peter was called to be a leader in the early church. And so now he's getting to see that even. He's seeing the influence he has over his brethren. He says, I'm going fishing. We are too. Let's go. And they caught nothing. That's a bad night. Listen, remember, they went to what they knew. They went thinking, we're, we're fishermen. We're the experts at this. And what happens? They come up empty. Preparing for ministry, perhaps. When we work hard and we toil through the night, sometimes feeling like we come up empty. Yet, do not grow weary in doing good. But you know, what's amazing here, as it says they caught nothing, we like to jump ahead and look at the catch and think, wow, what a tremendous work of God, the catch, the 153 fish. These were expert fishermen that caught nothing. Perhaps the emptiness was as much of a work of God as the fullness. You know, we need to remember that. Sometimes 
God's hand will lead us to a place of, go ahead, you can do what you think you know and come up empty. And we see this shift begin to take place after this as Jesus speaks and as they listen and walk in obedience. And there's this amazing thing and we look at the catch and we think, that's it, God showed up, isn't it great? But I believe wholeheartedly that that was just as miraculous that they caught nothing through the night as it was that those nets were full. Jesus wanted to show them something. Perhaps they were reminded of when Jesus called Peter while fishing, told him that he would be a fisher of men. Even Peter feeling like the last time I was alone and felt like I had no purpose, I went fishing and Jesus showed up. So maybe... Just maybe, feeling alone and without purpose, I'll go fishing and Jesus will show up. Verse four, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus showed up. We've seen Jesus in this resurrected state show up several times. We've seen him Uh, show up in difficult circumstances of despair, of sorrow, of grief, of fear, of doubt. And now here in this uncertainty, this exhaustion, imagine working through the night, fishing through the night, and Jesus shows up in the midst of their exhaustion. Jesus shows up in the midst of their emptiness. And they didn't know it was him because they were caught up in circumstance. Jesus is on the shore, and they're not paying attention to the shore. They're paying attention to their emptiness, their exhaustion. Jesus gets involved in what they're involved in, getting into the fish. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, children, Have you any food? They answered him, no. This is a common greeting for a group of fishermen. It translates in English as children, but it's more literally translated to say lads or young men, as he would call out to the fishermen, have you any food? This is Jesus calling for an admission of emptiness. Jesus wasn't looking for the answer, like, hey, I wonder if they caught anything. Jesus knows fully whether they caught fish or didn't catch fish. But he calls to them for an answer to give an admission, a confession of emptiness, a confession of failure in their own strength. The supposed experts at fishing bringing all of their expertise, bringing all of their power and all of their strength and saying, look what, we got nothing. Empty. And he calls to them to admit it. Confess it. 
Admit that you've got nothing. And this would be a somewhat common experience here as Jesus called to them from the shore out to their boat. This would be a common thing that would take place as fishermen would, would fish through the night, come back in with their catch, and people would meet them on the beach, on the shore, at breakfast time, saying, hey, do you have anything for breakfast? And they would buy fish from them to bring home and serve their family breakfast with the bread that has already been prepared. This was a common thing. There's a little bagels and locks going on over here. You know, they got the bread, they get the fish, put it together, you got breakfast. This was a common interaction that somebody would meet the fishermen at the shore. And so Jesus calling out to them, have you any food, is in a sense to say, have you any food for breakfast? Because it's breakfast time and this was a common occurrence. And the answer is no. More literally translated to say, not a thing. Praise the Lord, they admitted their emptiness. Now, when we might be experts at something, and we work hard, and we think we've got it all figured out, and if we come up empty, and you know somebody comes in to check on you, your boss comes in to check on you, and you're like, no, no, we're good, everything's good here, you know, you're trying to hide the emptiness, Right? But they couldn't do that. Why? They, just conviction maybe? Because of what Jesus had done? Because they now had a humility to admit it that they wouldn't have before? And so when Jesus says, have you any food? They're like, no. We got nothing. We have come up completely empty in our own strength. An admission of emptiness. Guys, Jesus can work with that. If we come and we bring all of our expertise and think, look at what I've got, Jesus, it's empty. We might think it's something, but it's emptiness. Jesus works with a confession of emptiness, it's the beginning of change. It's an admission that. Our way has not worked out. It's an admission that our way won't work out. And Jesus asked for that confession and got it, which brought an opportunity now for change. That opportunity would require action. It would require obedience. And so in verse six, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. This is an odd exchange. It was not an odd exchange until now. Before this, he calls out to them, have you any food? No, we don't have any food. You think, okay, I'll find some other fishermen and find some other fish. He calls out to them, have you any food? No, and now he from the shore is telling the expert fishermen Cast to the other side. That makes sense. I mean, who, who does this guy think he is? If somebody showed up at your workplace and you're coming up empty and they say, hey, try it this way, you're like, I know what I'm doing. Who do you think you are? People don't welcome. We, 
let's be honest. We don't often have the humility to welcome advice on our area of expertise, okay? I, so you guys, I think most of you know I'm pretty into coffee, yes? I got a good laugh over here because it's like, yeah, pretty is an understatement. I'm significantly into coffee. I go to coffee shops, literally I've been to coffee shops all over the world, and not like, like I won't step foot into Starbucks. It's not, not that kind of coffee shop. Like coffee roasters, and, and I'll go and I'll exchange some information and enter into conversation with the barista and the people who are making and talk about the beans and how they were roasted and where they came from and all this stuff, right? And sometimes I walk into a coffee shop and they're not there, you know? And so I ask a question and they don't have an answer. And then I'm like, mm, I'll have hot chocolate. I'll have water. Because <laughs> clearly this isn't going to go well. But, and then sometimes I'll just, I'll like, I'll like watch. And I'm like, well, maybe just try, try to do that a little bit different. They don't welcome that usually. They're not into that. Like, hey, the water's not hot enough. Oh, just leave me alone, man. I know how to do my job. People do not welcome that. One time I went into this coffee shop and the guy, he's like, hey, I'm pretty new at this. He's making a pour over. If you got any tips, let me know. I was like, here's my guy right here. I'm like, all right, go ahead. And he's like, watch, watch me make it. I, you know. So we had a good conversation, but most often people are not welcoming any sort of advice where they're some sort of expert. So imagine this exchange the guy on the beach who's looking for a fish for breakfast says, hey, fisherman, how's it going? No, not good. Cast your net on the other side. And they did it. This whole thing was unusual. First of all, this is the morning, right? There wasn't the good catch in the morning. It was overnight they would make the great catch. But they came up empty overnight. Jesus is there in the morning because there's a picture in his mercy that's new every morning. Cast the net now. Cast it to the other side. Switching sides of the boat, it would make no difference. But it was an opportunity to try something different. An admission of their way not working out. And this isn't the first time that Peter has gotten fishing advice from Jesus. The last time, he thought he knew better. This time, he learned some humility. They figured, let's give it a try. So they did it. And then they couldn't draw their nets because of the multitude of fish no doubt reminded of the last time. Reminded of how Jesus showed up and Jesus told them how to do their job and they did it. And in that, look, this is what we see is the difference between life under the divine influence of Jesus Christ and life without the divine influence of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ at the center of our lives, we will constantly come up empty. If we're just under our own you know, influence of knowledge and expertise, then we will come up empty. 
It doesn't matter how much you may have achieved in life. It doesn't matter how much money or possessions or, or what kind of house or car or job or power or influence you have. What matters is what kind of influence you are under. And under the influence of Jesus Christ, you will experience fullness. And you will no longer come up empty. That might look different. That fullness might look different than you expect. It might be accomplished in a different way of just casting to the other side. That's not one of the tricks of the trade. But yet, Jesus said to do it. And he brought them from emptiness to fullness under the influence of his voice. And Jesus here gives them a picture of the fruit that will come as they become fishers of men. Under the influence of Jesus Christ, everything changes. Under our own influence and power and authority, we will continue to come up empty. Verse seven, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard this, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he removed it and plunged into the sea. You know, you, I wonder if Peter thought he would be able to walk on water this time, right? I mean, just the thought popped in my head. I wonder if he's like, oh, put on my coat, let's go, and didn't work out quite the same. But he walked on water once before. It's the Lord, let's go. But you know what we get to see here with Peter? He goes all in. He is sold out. He denied Jesus. Things had been really a mess for him. He'd been struggling through this time. And now he's like, I don't care if I walk, if I drown, if I swim, whatever, I'm going. And he puts on this garment. And this gives us indication because he was fishing, he was working through the night, he had his work clothes on. He had taken off his outer garment. He's kind of just in his, his work dirty clothes and, and fishing all night. And now he puts it on to be presented to his savior properly, not half-dressed, properly presented to his savior. And he plunged. It is a demonstration of total devotion. It didn't matter to him. He brought himself. He went all in to meet with Jesus. Verse eight then, but the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. They brought their little boat, the fish. Remember, they could not bring the catch into the boat, so now they're dragging it along, bringing the gift of fruit and fullness to present it to Jesus. What Jesus had given them, they're bringing back. We have to remember this, guys. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Everything. Whatever you have, whatever gifts you have, abilities you have, whatever possessions you have, money you have, it is a gift from God and should be given back to him. 
They didn't leave it. They didn't follow Peter this time. They had a different perspective. We gotta bring this. Now listen, one is, one is not more important than the other. Peter was like, I'm all in. He dove in, he swam to, to the shore. And these guys are in the boat. Let's go, we, got, we gotta bring the fish. One is not better than the other, but both are necessary. We give of ourselves wholly, and we give of our gifts that God has first given us. Paul writes about it. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes about the gifts that God has given us, the body of Christ, and which, with those gifts, we are to share those gifts with the body of Christ. As we do that, we are a part of the outworking of the grace of God to one another. If we're not sharing those gifts, what are we doing? We're actually withholding, not just that gift, we're withholding the grace of God. So are we called to just like, I'll just enjoy I'm just gonna be a church spectator. We're seeing here in these chapters, we've studied it the last couple weeks even of the early church, even pre-church. This is the introduction to the church, to the body of Christ as the brethren were gathering together. There's that introduction to the church. And here we see the outworking of the body of Christ and the different gifts that people have. It's all come from God and it all needs to go back to him. And we need not withhold it because we are robbing the body of Christ if we are withholding of the gifts that God has given. Verse nine. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. They saw fire, fish, and bread. Jesus, first of all, was serving them. Second of all, he didn't need their fish. But he was interested in their fish. He didn't need it. They show up, they might get to shore, be like, wait, he had fish? What was this all about? It wasn't about the breakfast. It wasn't about the fish. It was about the gift of God. It is about being under the influence of Jesus Christ. And that gift, that, th those fish, that was for them to experience. Jesus didn't need it. It was for them to see the power of being under the influence of Jesus that brings blessing. But then verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Jesus didn't need the fish, but he calls for the fish. As I said before, he desires the gift. He doesn't need it. Listen, we have to remember this. God doesn't need any of us. He doesn't need any of what we have to offer him. We could show up and be like, I am the most gifted person and I'm going to show everybody I'm the most gifted person. And in our own strength, we can keep coming up empty. But we need to realize God doesn't need that. God doesn't need us, but he desires us. 
God doesn't need our gifts, but he calls for our gifts. Bring some. Bring some. And he didn't say bring all, did he? All of you, some of the gift. Like Peter, all in. So he desires all of you, but he says, just bring some of the fish. To give to the Lord that which he has already blessed you with. To give it back to him. To further his kingdom. And in that he's saying, bring some is that your fish are still a blessing. Your gifts are a blessing. Blessing the heart of God. And you can and you should give them back to the Lord. Verse 11, then Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now there's some scholars who would try to claim a significance to the number, 153. And there's, there's like lists of studies that have been done into these numbers and the significance of the number, 153. Some would say 100 represents the Gentiles and 50 represents the Jews and then three represents the Trinity and put it together. Like, okay, it's nothing, that's not bad. It's just maybe not great theology. It's a good thought. And then there's other thoughts that, you know, uh, there's, that there were 153 different types of fish and that's a representation of the many, of the whole world and the ministry that would take place to the whole world and the harvest that would be plentiful. Okay, again, this is a good thought, but I don't, it says there was 153 fish. So there is significance in that, though. One, it said the net did not break, which was, a, I believe, a work of God. Because John points it out to be significant. There were so many fish, he's saying. There was 153 fish, and the net didn't break. That's significant. That was a miracle. The ministry, the work, the harvest would be sustainable. It would not fall apart if you're in pursuit of Jesus. Another significance is that they counted the fish. We get an exact number. It doesn't just say, well, there was a many fish. They counted the fish. Perhaps to be reminded of the blessings of God. Sometimes, guys, it is good for us to recount the blessings of God. And each one, there were 153 reasons for them to trust Jesus right then and there. And sometimes we can go back and we say, wow, thank you, God. Look at what he's done. Fish number one. Fish number two. I can't believe he showed up again. Look at what God has done. The significance in identifying the number would also verify this story to be detailed and accurate. It actually happened. They counted the fish. There was 153. It's not like somebody's like, hey, somebody, there was, we found some money, some cash laying around. If anybody's missing it, you know, and, and oh, oh uh, yeah, well, it's mine. How much was it? I don't know. Uh, it was 53, $153. <laughs> it 
It verifies the truth. 153. That's kind of a random number to make up, isn't it? But then there's even more significance we see here is Peter's strength. Peter's strength is shown big time here. He goes, he grabs the whole thing. Jesus said, bring some of the fish. And Peter's like, oh yeah, let's go. He grabs this whole net of all the fish that they couldn't bring into the boat and he drags it up onto the shore by himself. Some great strength demonstrated here. But that strength was in obedience to the voice of Jesus. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Great strength can be displayed as we are in pursuit of Jesus and in pursuit of obeying Jesus. And like Peter, he demonstrates that he is not just going to go get a couple fish. He is literally saying, no, I'm giving it all. I'm bringing it all to Jesus. And Peter, now this would even be a foreshadowing of the life and ministry of Peter. He gave everything for Jesus. He gave everything now to serve Jesus. He would be crucified upside down for Jesus. And here's the beginning of him saying, I'm not just going to get some, I'm bringing it all. My whole life, everything is yours. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus said, come and eat breakfast. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid and I wanted to sleep in on Saturday morning and my mom would say at eight o'clock in the morning and I wanted to keep sleeping, come and eat breakfast. And I get to smell the pancakes and the bacon and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm out of bed. I'm good with that. I can get out of bed in that, with that comfort, with that food, I'm coming. I'm gonna go eat. There's great comfort in that, Right? And Jesus says, come and eat breakfast. We have seen throughout this gospel and throughout the gospels, we see it. When Jesus says, come, and I've said this before, he offers great comfort, strength, and blessing. And so he says, come, eat breakfast. What a blessing. Jesus has said this before. He said, come and see. Come and believe. Come to me and drink. Come and learn. Come and you will find rest. Come and inherit. Come and eat. Jesus offers something incredible and just that simple comfort. And in that, beyond the work that he's done, the words that he speaks of come is great comfort to where they have no doubt who he is. No one dared ask him why, because they had enough evidence. They had seen his work, they had heard the words come that they had heard so many times before. They didn't need further evidence. Even Thomas, who is with them, did not need 
further evidence. Thomas, who a short time before demanded further evidence, he said, if I don't see his nail-pierced hands and his side and put my hand in it, I will not believe. That Thomas didn't speak up today. He had enough evidence. No one dared ask. No one dared to say, give us more evidence. They'd seen enough. Thomas realizing he had no reason to doubt with the rest of them. Verse 13, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. What a reminder of the Last Supper when Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now he's demonstrating to them, he takes the bread and he gives it to them. And I would imagine they're thinking, man, the last time Jesus gave us bread, he told us to remember his body broken and his blood shed. And we didn't know what that meant before, but we know what it means now. No doubt this would have been an emotional moment for these brothers. Thinking about the Last Supper, even with sitting around this fire, Peter perhaps thinking about the fire that he warmed his, himself by as he denied Jesus. It's like that movie you watch and like everything connects. It's like, wow, it all lines up and everything fits. It's perfect. Jesus literally fulfills everything. It's like a fairy tale. They realize in this, more of Jesus is being revealed. And now verse 14, it says, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time that Jesus showed himself to be revealed to his disciples. Each time was special, wasn't it? Each time had a special, unique purpose. Last week as we studied, we saw Jesus showed up for the disciples to reveal himself to them as a whole. Then he shows up again just for Thomas and to teach the disciples. And now Jesus shows up again to restore Peter because he had some great plans in store because he looked at Peter and said, you are Simon, you shall be Cephas and he knew there was still work to do to get him to become Cephas and we're gonna get more specifically into that next week as we study the restoration of Peter to ministry. Here we're seeing more, of this is a restoration of Peter to Jesus, being restored, being brought near, and Peter now walking in obedience. God works with that. It starts, guys, with an admission of emptiness on our own. To stop fighting in our own strength, to try to achieve things in life and in ministry, 
in our own strength, we need to be under the influence of Jesus Christ alone. And through that, we don't just experience some fullness. We experience his fullness. We look to you. We glorify you. We thank you for revealing yourself through your word, through your works. We thank you for this gospel of John as we've been able to study and see so much of yourself revealed. And we pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, even right now. I pray for anybody in this room or watching online who's, who's listening, who does not have a relationship with you. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to them? I pray, Lord, for that individual to realize apart from you, we are nothing. And apart from you, we can do nothing. We have nothing but emptiness apart from you. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you today. Give your life to him. Confess your emptiness and come into his fullness that you might experience his fullness and that you might become, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the righteousness of God. We can't be righteous on our own. We can't attain eternity. We can't attain everlasting life, but we can put our trust in Jesus. And he leads us into everlasting life. So would you do that? Would you give your life to Jesus?